Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight and hearing. Amen. I know a little bit about you. Just a little. I know a little bit about your history. I know a few of your people. Uh, some, I know Jim, uh, who's been on the Crease board, the McLean Estate Committee, for a number of years. I know a few faces here because I was a student in this presbytery, let's not say how many years ago, uh, and I preached at Pineland a few times uh, and really quite enjoyed that congregation. But none of you know me very well. I know this little blurb, you know, the official little blurb in the bulletin. But I thought maybe you would like to learn something about who I actually am. But I'm not going to tell you about my husband and kids. We're all off working and doing various things today. I'm not going to really tell you much about my hobbies or my history. Um, I want to share with you today my testimony. Presbyterians actually do that. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? Yes, it is much more common in other traditions, I know. But it is something that we do. Now, I don't simply want to tell you a story about when I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, as, uh, as the language goes in some traditions. I could. But that's not what I want to tell you about today. What I want to tell you about today probably sounds a little bit more like a midlife crisis. So, those of you who have already lived through your 40s, you know that midlife can bring challenges. I have a friend who is in the middle of a divorce, and it's nasty, and he's exhausted. I have another friend that just buried their second parent, and they are grappling with the feeling of being an orphan for the first time. Midlife is a a time when we reassess our careers. It's a time when we wonder about what could have been and never will be also a time when we live with teenagers. This is not a time for the faint of heart. My 40s have in part been a time of struggle because I am a pastor. And after 20 years of serving in a congregation, not just any time in history, but in this moment in history, when the church is in the middle of an age of contraction, or decline, depending on your language. After 20 years of that, I became very weary. Some of you will know it's hard to be church in this day and age. Fewer people go to church. There are never enough volunteers. There's not enough volunteers, and sometimes there's not even enough kids to have Sunday school. People around us seem very uninterested in the gospel. There's never enough money. I have not met a church yet that feels like it has enough money. Everywhere you look, whether that is on a national scale or on a local scale, it's easy to see decline. It is tough to be a part of the church in this age of contraction. We remember, most of us, bigger churches. We remember bigger crowds. We remember more money we can't figure out why the church is not as successful as it used to be. Now that's true for everyone, but for pastors who spend every single day 
every waking moment thinking about church. That feeling is magnified. And we often feel that we're putting out our nets every single day, trying to be so faithful. And that's hard. We're preaching, we're leading, we're teaching, we're working at evangelism and mission. But often it feels like the nets are coming up empty. Not long ago, I decided to leave ministry. Our family began to make plans to go without our main source of income because that was me. I looked for work in another field altogether. And I spoke with colleagues who were in the very same process as me. My heart was grief-stricken and very anxious. And my faith was at an all-time low. I had given everything to the church and then some. But I felt that my efforts and even my prayers were unsuccessful and my nets were empty. A year ago when I applied to work at Creef Hills, it was a last-ditch effort to continue to serve the church. It was my dream job, don't get me wrong, totally my dream job, but I was prepared for that to fail too. When I received word that I got that job, I quite literally almost fainted. Partly it was because I was excited and part of it was because I was so afraid. I was in a bit of a fog. I accepted the job. I told my congregation it got processed through the presbytery and I prepared to set my nets out one more time. So I've been at Creef almost six months. I started in September of this year. And you know what? I love going to work every day. It's not to say it isn't hard because, gosh, a minister faces a steep learning curve when it comes to things like employment law and pest control and bookkeeping. And But the nets that I am putting out don't come back empty anymore. You would be amazed. I don't know how much you know about Creep, but you would be amazed at what I am seeing and what I am hearing there. There was a woman who came to stay at the Hermitage, which is this tiny little one-room almost uh, place to go and stay in retreat. And she stayed there for a few days, and then she said, wow, it was wonderful. She said, I got solo time with Jesus and a fresh direction for ministry. And just before Christmas, we welcomed a, a group from the Children's Aid Society. I didn't really know what they were doing. Um, They rented a house, the House of Shepherd, and uh, they were there just for the day. And there were parents and there were children. And I spoke with one of the workers afterwards who said, oh, those were families in the midst of being reunited again. They were sharing a meal and building relationships and getting used to each other again after having lived apart for a time. And she said it was so good to be in a home-like setting here. I know that we're going to be back again. And last week, I heard a story from a couple. They were at Creef about 10 years ago. It was a winter sort of like this. There was a blizzard. They were on the property. They went for a walk holding hands. And then he dropped to one knee and proposed. They've been married for 10 years. They have three kids. They serve the church with their whole lives and their whole family. And they're happy. 
Our next manna day, the end of February. It's not till the 28th. And yet it's almost at capacity because so many people want to come and hear from our moderator, Reverend Daniel Cho, as he speaks about Henry Nouwen and vulnerability and friendship. People are coming to Crease and finding that their faith is nourished. And they connect with God's creation and they find space for prayer and for laughter. Some of them are churchgoers. Many of them are not. But they are building community and they are breaking bread in the name of Jesus. They are celebrating love and the fishing nets are full Sometimes I wonder if we have a big enough boat. The disciples knew what it was like. They knew what it was like to go fishing and catch nothing. And they weren't just hoping to catch one or two fish. I don't know if you know this, but they actually have discovered um, some ancient boats from that time period. Um, first century boat in the Sea of Galilee was discovered in the 1980s. You know the dimensions of this thing? 26 feet long. It's a big boat. It was seven feet wide. It was four and a half feet deep. That is a lot of room for fish if you only have a couple of guys in that boat. And if they were used to filling up that boat with fish, it must have been pretty awful when they didn't catch anything. So when Jesus came along and he said, put out your nets one more time, I have no idea why they went along with it. I really don't. I mean, maybe curiosity. Maybe they were embarrassed to say no. Maybe they had nothing left to lose. I would bet that like me, they were afraid and maybe even a little bit cynical. Maybe it was just their last ditch effort. But when they did put the nets out, you know how this story goes. There was a huge abundance that filled that big boat, and it was a miracle. But I think for us it is also a lesson in hope. Those fishers put their nets out one more time, even though it may have seemed completely pointless at the time, and things changed. Jesus somehow, mysteriously, transformed their efforts, and their nets were full. And they were inspired to a new level of awe and humility. The disciples, and I too, learned that feeling like a failure, or even being a failure, does not mean that it will always be that way. Jesus can change things. Jesus does change things. And I don't know where you are feeling like a failure these days. I know that every single one of us in the room knows what failure feels like. Maybe you have tried over and over again to make peace in your family and yet you are still mired in conflict and you are grieved over it. Or maybe you've tried to quit smoking a million times or tried to lose that 10 pounds a million times and you can't seem to get anywhere. Or maybe you too feel the weight of a declining church and you can't figure out what else you could possibly do. That's why I wanted to offer you a word of personal testimony this morning. Because I know I have lived that story of miracle and abundance 
that we hear about in the Gospels this morning. And I want to invite you to wonder about your own life. How empty is your boat? How much fish will Jesus fill that boat with someday soon? When the nets are full, however that looks for you, I hope that you will be glad. I hope that you will give God lots of credit. But I also hope that you will tell each other, tell me, tell each other, tell the person that's down the street. Because God knows our world these days needs stories about hope. I think we need stories about hope, especially when they are about mystery and miracle. I think we need stories of rejoicing, stories of abundance, stories of good news. And here in the church, we have those stories. We have lots of those stories. The even better news is that Jesus is still creating those stories. Today and tomorrow and the day after that. Thanks be to God.